Hello, and welcome to this podcast from Consider This. Please let me know what you think and tell others about us on social media. This podcast was originally broadcast live on Northumberland 89.7 FM. You can hear this show live every Friday at noon. Thank you for downloading this program, and I hope you enjoy it. Hello, I'm Robert Washburn, and welcome to Consider This Northumberland, a current affairs program dedicated to the issues facing our community. We talk to the people on the front lines and those behind the scenes who make a difference in your life in Northumberland County. So I'm asking you, the listener, to take some time out of your busy day to consider this. The theme for Black History Month in Canada is Ours to Tell. According to the Government of Canada's website, this represents an opportunity to engage in dialogue and commitment to learning more about the stories of black communities in Canada, the histories, successes, sacrifices, and triumphs. As you will hear in this interview, Northumberland Hills Hospital also borrowed a bit from the American Black History Month, also taking place this February. The theme in the United States is Black Resistance. In this interview with Lola Obamagay, the Vice President of People, Culture, and Organizational Effectiveness for Northumberland Hills Hospital, you will hear why the hospital did this and what it means both to the hospital staff and the community. Obama Gay talks about how this opens an opportunity for staff and the community to have broader discussions about black history in Northumberland, plus tackle some of the deeper issues facing people of color within healthcare and society. Have a listen to our conversation. I'm so pleased to have with me today, Lola Obamagay, Vice President of People, Culture, and Organizational Effectiveness for Northumberland Hills Hospital. Welcome to Consider This Northumberland. Morning, Robert. Thanks for having me. What made you decide to fly a Black Lives Matters flag at the hospital as part of Black History Month? So first of all, Robert, it wasn't a me decision. Um, this was a recommendation that came from our Equity, Diversity, Inclusion Advisory Committee. And this is a committee we have here at NHH to further our EDI agenda. So that recommendation came from the committee along with a host of other activities, internal awareness, learning activities as well. So the flying of the Black Lives Matter flag is not in isolation. It's just one small part of everything we're doing to recognize Black History Month. For those of us who are not familiar with the uh, acronym, what does EDI stand for? EDI, Robert, stands for Equity, Diversity, Inclusion. And could you explain a little bit about what that means? So that just means this is a committee that um, our main terms of reference or agenda is to make recommendations to the senior leadership of NHH around activities that would promote inclusion, that would cause more awareness, that would give opportunities for discussions around anything that normally might not have been noticed. And this comes from having the desire to embed a more diverse and inclusive environment here at NHH. So what has been the staff response to your initiatives? So this is interesting. Um, Again, going back to the point where I made that 
the initiatives are both internal and external. The staff responses to the internal initiatives have been lovely, had very positive feedbacks. And as a specific example, one of the things that we're doing is we're putting our weekly write-ups and we have them themed around the contributions of Black people to modern medicine. Some of the feedback that we've gotten on those write-ups are that they're educated, they're informative, people weren't aware. So getting lots of great feedback and reactions, which is what we expected. But more importantly, Robert, this was all about having a conversation. So that conversation is happening. And so that's good. Uh, I noticed in, in some of the earlier press coverage that there have been a number of internal events as well. How's the turnout been for those? So um, we're starting our first launch and learn later this week. We expect the turnout to be quite good. Um, the ones that we have kicked off already are the write-ups on our InfoWeb, which is our intranet. And by the number of reads and the comments, it already tells you how much traction is getting. So that's good to see as well. What's the community response been like? <laughs> the community response has been very interesting as well. It's been mixed, um, not unsurprisingly. Um, some very reflective of what we're hearing internally and some, again, that just tells us, Robert, that this is a conversation that needs to be had. And having that um, reaction again goes back to what we were trying to achieve, which is awareness, discussion, and an opportunity for that. So very mixed from the community. Saying that, um, our external partners, Town of Coburg, United Way, and a few others, just to mention a few, have also been very supportive of work as well. So overall, positive, but still the element of a mixed reaction. There may be some listeners who might not know what Black Lives Matters is. Mm. Could you take a moment just to tell us what that means to you? So to me personally, um, this comes way back from, so let me start by saying the Black History Month, this theme this year is around Black resistance. And this comes from the advocacy agenda that has existed for many years to say that um, the life of one Black person doesn't always equivalent the life of a non-Black person. And so this comes from an advocacy agenda where the roots in it are about having the conversation and making that awareness clearer and not dissimilar to the conversations we will have for any marginalized group, equity-seeking, equity-deserving groups. If we're talking about Indigenous peoples as well, they have also faced, as we know, so many experiences that tell a story that buttress the fact that they're marginalized as well, pride, so many others. So to me, this is about the conversation of Black life and how important it is and Black racism, which unfortunately exists still alive and well in our society and many other societies as well. How does this help us, though, reflect on the history of Black people in Ontario? Because most people who might be listening would think, well, it's about history and history is about the past and uh, about achievement and, and, and greatness. How, how do these two things mesh together then? So this is very interesting. And I, I read something recently about the contributions of a gentleman called um, W.E.B. Dubois. 
um, who was an African-American um, histologian and called to be a Negro thought leader. And he talked a lot about history and how the history tells us a lot about who we are and where we're going. And if I, I were to think back on the comments of my parents who tell me, if you don't know where you're coming from, <laughs> you definitely don't know where you're going. So history blends and bleeds into the present and into the future. So in my mind, you know, there's no delineation between the history and the present. It's understanding what has happened and creating an opportunity for a conversation so we don't repeat the mistakes of the past. So we learn from the past. So putting it that way, the, the, the place for Black history in the context of this discussion is ever so important. You mentioned the work of the Equity, Diversity, and Inclusion Advisory Committee at the hospital. Can you tell us who sits on it? So this is a very active group. So I chair the committee. And on the committee, we have representation from all our staff groups, um, physicians, midwives, frontline staff, administrative staff, volunteers. And it's a really good and diverse group where we come together, we meet once a month, and we talk about our agenda as a hospital, what we want to achieve, the recommendations. And out of that comes lots of very exciting things that we have done in the past and we continue to do. One of them is the recognition of Black History Month. Can you talk a little bit more about the initiatives that this committee is undertaking and, and could you be specific about some of the mm -hmm. things that they've done? So um, specific examples, one of the things that we have done and we continue to do is the recognition of notable dates. So this is where we underscore and bring to light dates that normally might have been forgotten. So Diwali, Hanukkah, Holocaust Memorial, Pride. So we have activities themed around. We have education wrapped around. In September, we did a big splash around truth and reconciliation. We flew the Every Child Matters flag. We installed a permanent um, orange zebra crossing in the hospital. There were lunch and learns. There were educative write-ups, very similar to what we're doing this month. And so these are just some of the examples of the things that we do. We also have other conversations around reviewing policies, practices, health equity issues as it concerns patient care, making sure that um, our hospital as we come in gives an inclusive feeling to patients, caregivers, our staff, and just generally anything that would enable people bring their whole selves to work and show up at work feeling confident that they can present themselves as authentically as possible. So lots of activities that we do, both initiative, both fun, both linked to policy practices. And those are just a couple of examples. How long has the committee existed? So this committee has actually been in existence for a while, long before I joined NHH, and I've been here over a year. Um, since I started and took over, we've definitely ramped up and continue the good work that started already and um, up the ante a little bit. And how have these initiatives been working so far in terms of, of change, in terms of staff adoption and administrative adoption? 
So they've been working really well, Robert. I'll give you another concrete example. One of the things that the committee has done is to look at our outwardly facing adverts and how we attract people in a manner that is more inclusive, but also not creating accessibility barriers. So that is a very outwardly facing um, action and that had to do with tweaking of our language and recognizing that the community itself is becoming more diverse and so if we're attracting talent we have to position ourselves in a way that people feel welcome so adoption has been good um, we know that these things take time and as we always acknowledge and talk about um, efforts relating to equity diversity inclusion they're a slow burn and we just need to keep at it but so far so good as a community, we are accustomed to overt examples of racism, graffiti, demeaning remarks, or stereotyping. But there are other forms of racism that are not as obvious. How do you address this kind of racism? So this is a really interesting but very difficult and complex thing, Robert, and I wouldn't claim to know how to address it in, in its entirety, but you are right. There are the overdarks, there are the microaggressions, there are the subtle, what people call ignorance, and, and also it, it, it's, it shows in different forms. But what I think fundamentally comes down to is having the conversation. We also know that unconscious bias exists as well. People are a product of their experiences and their upbringing and all those other social factors. So for me, it's about let's keep the conversation going. Let's keep learning. Let's keep an open mind. Let's keep the mind of inquiry and asking questions. And I think that also systemically there are barriers that are in place already, which don't help. But again, it's 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 one conversation at a time. And I, I read a quote that a long time ago that really resonates with me personally, and it's from Jesse Jackson. And he said that um, inclusion isn't a matter of political correctness, it's the key to growth. And so that I carry along with me and keeping that top of mind, again, underscores the need for just having the conversation. Let's just keep the conversation going. And then when you have folks who are in, in a position to influence change, because those conversations are already top of mind, it's easy to bring that forward to the table and have those discussions again. Healthcare has, for many decades, historically given people of color more menial jobs. Does this still occur? Well, again, another very interesting question. And I think looking at it by way of the jobs they get is just one end of a long journey. It, it goes all the way back to the opportunities that they have to progress, to study, to participate, and to position themselves in a position in a place where they could get the jobs that are seen to be less menial. So it, it kind of works its way all the way back to the opportunities. And, and so I think it's a very complex issue, but I don't think in and of itself, there is the intention to give people of color or BIPOC community members menial jobs. It, it just goes back to the opportunities they had way from the very beginning. So again, very interesting question, but very complex as well. But are more diverse people getting a greater range of opportunity in terms of jobs? Do you see a change taking place? Well, I see it happening. I mean, I'm in a position of leadership, so that goes to show. Um, 
but I think again, it's a function of the opportunities that we all have and 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 how we present ourselves and and the chances that we're given. But definitely with um, you know, the pandemic made a lot of people work remotely and you could see the migration was moving further away from the core, the downtown core. Um, so I see that, you know, naturally our communities are getting more diverse. And so those opportunities are becoming available. But in the, in the reality of it, Robert, it, it hasn't always been the same. It might not be the same for a long time. But again, it goes back to let's keep those conversations going. How do we attract these people? How do we create opportunities that are equitable? How do we even recognize that inequity exists? And when we put all those together, I, I think we'll be heading in the right direction. Do you know of any CEOs of hospitals in Ontario that uh, are uh, minority people? I do not personally, but that does not mean that they don't exist. Maybe I need to do more research, but I, I, I don't personally, I'm not aware of any. I was wondering if you'd take a moment and maybe share a bit of your story. Mm -hmm. You know, maybe you're an example. You mentioned that you've risen to a position of leadership. Could you tell us a bit about yourself? Um. So this is interesting because I, I tell folks who are close to me that this work is what I do. This isn't who I am. So if I were to describe myself to you, Robert, as who I am, um, the three adjectives that come to mind is a mom, a wife, and a God lover. And that's how I always introduce myself. I'm a mom. I've got two amazing children. They're my full-time job. This is the part-time job. <laughs> I'm a wife um, in a very beautiful relationship with my life partner. And I'm a God lover in the sense that I'm a Christian. And that is at the core of who I am and, and, and defines my values and everything that is important to me. So that is how I would always introduce myself as who I am. And then what I do is the day job. It's the the people, the culture, the organizational effectiveness. In my job, I also oversee quality, patient safety, risk, and a few other core functions across the hospital, like environmental services, food services, medical devices, reprocessing, um, volunteers, HR, occupational health, IPAC, sorry, infection prevention and control. So these are the areas I, I look after. And being in this position is one that, um, I've worked hard to get to and earned, but also recognizing that I work with an amazing team. My colleagues, the board, everyone I interact with on a day-to-day -day has always treated me as me and, and taken me for the contributions that I make and the value that I add and how we all work together as a team. So I can't overemphasize enough, Robert, how NHH as a work family is has been a very good move for me. Have you ever faced racism in the workplace? Not necessarily at NHH, but uh, elsewhere in your career? I have, unfortunately, and I continue to on a day-to-day. -day. Sometimes they range from microaggressions where people pass comments that maybe they think are funny, but are, are not very funny. Um, sometimes it, you see it manifest in expectations that people have around stereotypical mindsets and associations. I experience that outside of work in my interactions in my personal life where people make assumptions based on my physical presentation. Being a woman, being a black woman, 
I have and continue to experience this. So that is a new. I also don't think that that is going to change. Um, my family also experienced this as well. As I said, I've got kids. Um, however, again, I, I want to underscore, you know, being in an environment like NHH, where it's a, it's a fantastic place to work. But in the short answer is yes, I have and continue to experience this. I'd like to go back to the uh, equity committee and, and talk a bit about how you've talked about this internally, but you've also alluded to the fact that there's some external work going on. Mm -hmm. And how do you see the relationship between what's going on internally at the hospital and then initiatives like flying the flag, then extended to the community? How do you balance all of that committee's work and how it reflects into the community? Can you tie those two things together, mm -hmm. not just with the flag, but with the ongoing work of the committee? So Robert, I think the, the strongest bond we have is the bond of the strategic partnerships and keeping those relationships going. You know, my colleague, Jennifer, who also is our head of strategic partnerships, you know, her network and the connections that we make through her are, are totally invaluable. And it's the walking in lockstep. So NHH isn't trying to do it by themselves or by ourselves. We're trying to do it with the community partners and making sure we have those conversations. So to answer that, one of the biggest ways we achieve this is keeping those channels of communication open, telling them what we're planning, what we're thinking, listening to what they're planning, what they're thinking, looking for points of convergence, and also making sure that ultimately at the end of the day, our shared purpose here, um, Robert, is people first. And that is top of mind. That is what we want to live by and what our decisions are couched and grounded in. It's about putting our people first, our patients, our caregivers, our physicians, midwife, volunteers, staff, and what is important to them. And that's why this discussion around inclusion is, is not a... Um, a knee-jerk thing and it's not a point in time thing it's a continuous thing and so we, we try to balance it those ways earlier on in our conversation you alluded to the fact that there has been some not so positive response from the community if yeah. you could sit down across from those people what would you want to say to them well the first thing i would probably say is you know thank you for sharing um, because ultimately, whether or not it's positive or negative, in this instance, some less positive people are rising to the invitation of a discussion. And I think that is first and foremost. So the first thing I would say if I was sitting in front of someone is, you know, thank you for sharing what you're thinking, first and foremost. But then also, thank you for giving us the opportunity to have a discussion and why don't we have a discussion and just have a discussion? And why don't I listen to you and why don't you listen to me? And telling you what I am feeling or what we're trying to say does not diminish your experiences, but just saying, you know, let us listen to each other. That's the way I would approach it. Again, going back to the point I made earlier, people are a product of their experiences and what they know. Um, so I think, again, it, it goes back to having the opportunity to have that discussion. I would say, come, let's reason together. Come, let's talk. When you're sitting quiet, when you're sitting quietly and reflecting on the work that lies ahead, how big a task are you and this committee facing? 
it's a huge task, Robert. And when I refer to the work on of W.E.B. Dubois, who says it's, it's not our doing and it's not something that's going to finish. So I think we're in a unique position where we're contributing to the discussion. We're contributing to moving things forward. We're contributing to a state where we're normalizing inclusion. And so I think with that in mind, is a huge task, but just like anything else, you know, everyone has their little part to play and they might not see the end of the journey, but then we've contributed in this point in time to what we are trying to achieve. So the task is big. It's it's black racism in the context of Black History Month, as is other types of racism or discrimination, it is, is ingrained, endemic, systemic, very, very deeply entrenched. But this is all about what contribution can I make at this juncture, at this point, at this decision. So I think it's a huge task. But I also think it's not our task to see to the end. It's just everyone just needs to contribute in their little way. Lola Baumagay, thank you so much for talking to me today. Robert, thank you so much for the opportunity. That was Lola Obamagay, the Vice President of People, Culture, and Organizational Effectiveness for Northumberland Hills Hospital. I want to thank my guests this week for talking to me, and I want to thank all the listeners for tuning in today. Please join me again next week when we will talk to the people on the front lines and those behind the scenes who make a difference in your life and Northumberland County. So please tune in. If you would like to listen or share this or any podcast, please check out my website at consider-this.ca. There you will find past podcasts, news, and other information about life and politics in Northumberland County. Or you can go to the radio station's website at northumberland897.ca. I'm Robert Washburn. Thanks for taking time out of your day to listen in, and I hope over the week you will continue to consider this. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Consider This. If you have any comments or would like to suggest a story, please contact me at considerthisnorthumberland at gmail.com or you can message me on Facebook at Consider This. If you enjoyed this podcast or are looking for more news and information about Northumberland County, please check out my website at consider-this.ca. That's consider-this.ca. And don't forget to share. And again, thank you for listening and stay tuned for more from Consider This.